considering how old the painting is. And I'm, I'm also sure he had apprentices. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Everybody mix this. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like, I'll go to the art store and give me a tube of Prussian blue or something. Right. Here's a patch <laughs> yeah. of Holbein paint. Yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> podcast. Today you are here with Sky Becker Yamakawa and Catherine Moore. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Sky. Hi. So tell me, what have you been working on? So I've been working on a myriad of stuff. You know, we're in spooky season, so <laughs> I am just working on little horror pieces, just having fun. I have some, uh, you know, shows coming up that I'm looking forward to. I have Modern Eden is this month. They have a dance macabre show. Ooh. Yeah. So I'm doing a piece for that. And then they're going to have a show in December called Yule. So I'm working on those every October that there's the whole Inktober thing or the 31 days of horror or whatever. And I used to do like some of those. Like I, I never did like the whole set, but I would do some. I just kind of started last year. I, just, I said, you know what? I'm just going to, if I want a prompt, I'll look for one. If not, I'm just going to think of my own and just kind of doodle around. And if something comes up really good and I like it, I'll, I'll try to sell it. But if not, it's just for me. So that's what I'm doing. Cool. That sounds like fun. Yeah, it's fun. So how about you? What are you working on? I just finished a big painting. So I feel relief. <laughs> yeah, oh, good. <laughs> I had two really large paintings. Well, it was three, but one of them, I think I'm going to, it's a very early stage. So I'm going to redo it. And then I have two moderately large that I really want to start, but I said, I can't start these <laughs> until I finish one of these big paintings. <laughs> I don't want to be in the situation where I have like five giant paintings. Nothing's getting completed or right because you're just chipping away little by little at each one every day every week every month <laughs> right right exactly yeah so I just finished a really big one so I'm like yeah well almost finished but oh, finished good. enough varnishing finished enough. framing yeah. and touch-ups is still left so yeah so I got my new moderately sized one on the easel and I'm getting it ready oh cool so what do you consider moderately sized I think the one that I have I'm just, I have it all sketched out and ready. So I have the tracing paper over ready to transfer mm -hmm. and it's 24 by 36. Oh, see now to me, that's huge. <laughs> right, right. That's yeah. why I say it's moderately large. It, okay. The one I just finished was 36 by 48 inches. Oh, geez. So oh. that felt really big. Yeah. How long did that take you? Oh, it took a really long time. Yeah. You're like, I don't know. It was long. <laughs> right. It was originally a commissioned piece that somebody mm. had approached me about a while ago and the commission fell through. But as we talked about, when you do commission pieces, you come to the design with the client together, right? Right. It, you work together. And I was really excited about doing the painting. Mm -hmm. So when the job fell through, I thought, you know, I still want to do this piece. Right. So I want to go ahead and do it. And then I can just be a little more free in terms of the interpretation 
Right. I had originally wanted another piece that I had done on a larger scale. So mm. I changed things, but yeah, I was just so inspired by the job and the idea. I was like, I'm going to do it, but I was in Good. no rush. Yeah. Yeah. So I chipped away a little bit, little bit. And then I said, okay, I'm going to get this done. <laughs> Sweet. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So, okay, well, we will be right back to talk about constraints in art. Hello and welcome back. Today we are talking about art and constraints. So Catherine, you're familiar with constraints in your artwork. Yes, very yes. much. I I think especially mm -hmm. if you work with galleries on a regular basis, that's basically the right. name of the game. Right. And I do illustrations, so that is definitely the name of the game there. First, we need to discuss, you know, what is a constraint? And the definition of a constraint is a limitation or restriction. Mm -hmm. Examples of constraints in art that we might come across are a color palette. I've seen some artists like Casey Weldon. I had heard him talk and he said that he used to use a lot more colors, but then he decided to limit his color palette. Mm -hmm. And he felt that was much more powerful to get his message across. Mm -hmm. Another one is size constraints. Like if you have an open call or if you're doing a show for a gallery, maybe they say your paintings cannot exceed 20 inches or 12 right. by 12. Mm -hmm. And then, yeah. of course, for gallery shows, you always have the subject matter or almost always. So do you have any other constraints that you would like to contribute? I think those are pretty much the main one. You can always find constraints. I, I remember there was some shows as like, you know, your painting must be done on a birdhouse. We had to do a birdhouse paintings. Ooh, that's so, cool. What do you remember what that was for? Yeah, I've, I've actually done it a couple of times. I did one for Modern Eden. It was a house. I mean, it was a house. It was a show called that one called home I think it was called home and and every artist had to paint on a birdhouse and that was my first time painting on a birdhouse and I loved it and then I did one for cactus gallery a few years back that was also a birdhouse you've painted on something that's a 3d object so you have to carry that painting all the way around and how that's going to work it was good I think constraints are good but <laughs> like... yeah which brings us to the next topic which is why are constraints in art a good thing and we highlighted we talked a little bit about this in the creative block episode mm -hmm. and i guess there's a whole psychological concept behind the concept of constraints in art and they said that when there are no constraints in the creative process complacency sets in and people follow what psychologists call the path of least resistance they go for the most intuitive idea that comes to mind rather than investing in the development of a better idea mm -hmm. A constraint in contrast provides focus and a creative challenge that motivates people to search for and connect information from another source to generate novel ideas, new product services, or business processes, mm -hmm. which was interesting. Now, in that creative block episode, constraints was also listed as a contribution to creative blocks. <laughs> yeah. You know, I love constraints. I hate it when it's open. I hate it. I hate it. I, I don't know. Some artists like really love if they get a show and it's open, like you can do any size, you can do any theme. And there's artists that love that. And I don't know if it's because my background's in illustration, but that drives me insane. I have, I just sit there and go, it's too open. <laughs> it's too open. There's just right. too much to choose from. And I can't figure it out. But I like that you talked about that because without a constraint, I always go, 
oh, let's see, what do I like? And it's always something pop culture related. <laughs> so it's like, right? I can do this. But that gives me a theme. I need to have that. I just need it. I like to have a theme. And it could be a broad theme, but it's got to be something. It's right, got to be something. Right. I think that's why the last couple portrait shows I've done, they used to do a portrait theme every year. And they decided, oh, we're not going to do themes anymore. We're just going to be open. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> what oh, really? do I paint? Yeah. yeah. What were some of the themes for the previous portrait shows? Oh, we did like a show called Fiction, which was all based on fictional stories. We did one on Greek mythology. We did one on superheroes. We we did like all these different ones. I loved it. Remember we did theme was called Portraits of Friends. And so we had to paint another person that was painting other artists. So we were paired up with different artists to paint. Okay. And, and Leilani and I always, we just like, oh, we'll paint each other. That's fine. We'll do each other. <laughs> so we always, right. we've done that since school. So I was like, oh, we got this. The last couple of years have been a little more challenging because there's just no theme. I think I just really need the constraint on the theme. I can live with the, con you know, whatever size, like I'll pick a size, whatever. I like that. I, I actually, I thought the portrait show was wonderful this year. I saw the pieces mm -hmm. and they were incredible. But like when you say if it was a superhero portrait show, I get a little excited. Oh, I really want to see that. <laughs> right, right. That's really cool. That That's a, more exciting for me as a viewer mm -hmm. and an art collector, I think. Right. Maybe because you know exactly what you're getting. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, the work has been, like you said, it's been amazing. Like I just sit it there has. and go, oh my gosh, that's so, so amazing. Mm -hmm. And they're bringing in new artists. They're, they're kind of using that as their, and this is at Modern Eden. Right. They're using that as their way to bring in new artists because they're opening it up for open submissions for that portrait right. show every year. So you do see a lot of different styles of art. It was always the same artist before that. <laughs> it's like, oh, oh, there's so-and-so's piece and so-and-so's piece. So now they, they've opened it up and I, I think that's fabulous. But I wonder, because I'm not as familiar with the new artists, is like, is that their comfort zone that they're going into because there's no theme? I would think so. Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, as you're saying this, and I'm starting to think of other galleries that have open calls and when it's just a blank open call mm -hmm. and submit your best three to five pieces mm -hmm. at this size and the shows feel pretty chaotic right and they don't even have like portraits it's just whatever so I think constraints are good in art not just for the creator side as well for the viewer and collector right, right. and that like you were saying yeah the collectors what am I going to get going to this show yeah, it's just like oh, just open come on in <laughs> I didn't think about that before, when I just saw the concept of art and constraints, I was only thinking of it from the creative side. But now that I'm hearing you talk about that, it sort of opened my view to the other dimensions of art. Yeah, because when I sit there, if I get, you know, from galleries, even if I'm not showing at that gallery or in a show, if they, I have a lot of newsletters or, you know, I see them on social media and they post something about a theme I'm really excited about. 
Mm -hmm. I'm going to that show or I'm going to look at it as opposed mm -hmm. to it's like, all, oh, we're doing, you know, our annual open call for artists and it's just kind of a mishmash of stuff. It might be interesting and I might, if I know some artists in there, I'll probably want to check it out, but it's not as exciting to me as like a theme that I'm really interested in. Yeah, I would agree with that. In fact, I know that I collect art and I know that if I see a show from a gallery that I like and they have a theme for a show that I'm really excited about, mm -hmm. I will already have a budget in mind and yep. be ready to, I'll be primed to purchase. Exactly. Like, <laughs> I want to buy something. I am into this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I collect art too. And we just, just rearranged all my art in my house over the weekend. And it was, it's ridiculous. I had pieces that I hadn't hung up yet because I didn't know where I was going to put them. So mm -hmm. we like rearranged and I did like a whole kind of salon style hanging. Of right, the art. right. Yeah. And I, I re looks really good. I was like, oh my gosh, I love that. And then I'm like, hmm, but I need to buy more art now. <laughs> like, like, where's that going to go? We have a few walls in the uh, salon style. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah have a couple examples of art and constraints from the creator side. It was Casso's The Bull, and he did a series of 11 lithographs in which the bull becomes increasingly distilled down to its essence. Within the constraints of exploring the concept of a bull, Picasso had infinite possibilities and he could experiment. Mm -hmm. And then the other example was Dr. Seuss, which involved a bet that he was limited to only using 50 words in the book he wrote and the book was green eggs and ham. Yep. Yeah. He was like, oh, you can't, you can't use these. Yeah. It was, I, yeah. I mean, I grew up with Dr. Seuss. Mm -hmm. Yeah. They had limited words. They had very limited color palette as well. Have you done limited color palettes? I have, I have, and I'm thinking about doing it again. I actually had to do a piece recently which had to be pretty small and the gallery set the price for the piece. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I'm, I have to do this piece. It has to be this size on this material. I'm only allowed to charge this much. So I want to have a clear, concise design in four or five colors at the most, mm -hmm. because that would limit my materials and limit the time that I would spend. Right. It was a very good exercise and I feel good about the paintings and feel like I'd like to continue and do more paintings within a series of this style and right. subject matter. Well, I think it's, it's good practice too. I mean, I remember when I was first learning how to paint, I had a horrible time with color value I could get, but color was really hard for me. So one of my instructors, I am forever thankful for her. She was like, I want you to stop using all these colors. Because <laughs> I was just like, I don't know, I need some greens, I need some blues, I need some reds, I need some, you know, it's like, oh, this, really? Yeah, I didn't know. So she's like, these are the colors I want you to use. And this was for watercolor. So if you if I were to use like acrylic, I would add white and black to this. But she was like, I want you to use yellow ochre. Alizarin crimson, pick a blue, whether, you know, he's, he's like ultramarine's fine or something. So ultramarine, use burnt sienna, burnt umber. That's it. Those are your colors. And I did that and I learned how to paint. Oh, cool. And that was actually her palette. 
that she used. And she was an amazing children's book illustrator. Like amazing. Uh I loved her stuff so much. But yeah, she's like, you can do anything with just those five colors. And so I actually started when I was doing watercolor in school, I learned to paint that way. And it color started to make sense. She's like, once you get that down, then you can start adding things to your palette. So I did that. And then I translated that into acrylic. And I, so I added like the white and black to that palette. And then I went back years later to go back to oil painting. And that was my palette when I started going back and oil painting. And now I've expanded. I think I usually have about eight to 10 colors in my palette when I do oil painting. Sometimes I limited, I limit myself back down just as a good practice. Just go, oh, I can do flesh tones with these colors. I think I probably have about five or six core colors. Not that many, mm-hmm. but but I play within the values. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, great. That concludes our discussion on art and constraints. We'll be right back with art news. Hello and welcome back. Today we have our art news and we will be talking about the world's largest watercolor revealed after a 50 thousand pound conservation appeal. So have you heard about this, Catherine? You told me about this. I think we were having a discussion after recording a little while ago and you told me about this and I was I was like, how big was it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. It was eight feet by twelve feet. Wow, that is big. Yeah. That is big. So they believe a painting believed to be the world's largest watercolor has been protected for future generations after an ambitious conservation project. And it was Edward Byrne Jones. It's the Star of Bethlehem. It's been in the Birmingham Museum and Art Gallery and holds the world's foremost collection of pre-Raphael light artists. Yeah, so they had this painting and they didn't want to touch it. I would be afraid to do anything to it. Like it's just going to crumble and turn into dust. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So due to the risk of the fragile Victorian glazing shattering and causing damage, just code for turning into dust. Right. Right. Experts, however, were able to see other details after they peeled away this little bit of glue and frame and they saw the signature in the bottom right corner that hasn't been seen for 130 years. Wow. And so they put in a low reflecting glazing to protect the painting for future and will make it easier for visitors to see it and enjoy the picture and it's rich in detailed colors. But I wonder how long it was hidden away and people weren't able to see it because uh, they right. were so afraid of it being damaged. Oh, right. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be mortified, especially it's so big. And if we have any non-artists listening, the idea of painting that large using watercolor is crazy to me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And I don't know if they painted watercolor necessarily on paper or this Mm. could have been on another surface. I do know an artist, Caitlin Hackett. She's based out of Oakland now, but she has, I was over at her apartment And she has an enormous watercolor and ink piece that she did. And I was so in awe of that. I was like, how did you paint that so large? And it's on, it's on a large sheet of paper. I I think, I don't think it was quite this big, but it was at least six feet. Really? It's huge. It's huge. And she's like, oh, I just, you know, lay it on the floor and she would sit on it and draw it out and paint it and everything. But yeah, huh. it's it's huge and it's gorgeous. And I'm just like, I don't know. 
how how did you do that her her work's amazing yeah yeah I don't know how artists paint necessarily flat either Mm -hmm. it just feels you'd be myopic like I couldn't take in the full effect of the piece because of Mm -hmm. the optical illusion that's created when something is flat and the angles that you see it versus having it upright or slightly slanted on an easel or drafting table Right. I think that's true if you're painting large. Maybe that's why, like, I, you know, I've done watercolor pieces, but they're small. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't think I've painted the largest watercolor piece I probably did was 11 by 17. I mean, it's like, that's not that big. It's easily put in front of you without a lot of distortion. Maybe in school, we did 16 by 20. I did a watercolor figure class you know we would put it on our easel for one of the techniques and we would let the watercolor run down as we painted in the portraits and figures and stuff like mm-hmm. that but yeah so maybe 16 by 20 but definitely not eight foot by 12 foot that's right insane. right that's yeah. crazy and yeah, yeah. And it's gorgeous um yeah it's very dark too mm-hmm. and it's hard to capture dark colors like that I think in a watercolor especially mm-hmm. one that large like how much paint did he use <laughs> right right yeah a little goes a long way with watercolor but that doesn't right. mean that the hue is saturated right well then you know I th- I think of like how much paint did he mix <laughs> do you know because it's like if with watercolor you you know if you're if you're mixing something if you don't mix enough you're never going to get the right tone exactly the same, which is, you know, another reason why I like to paint because I'm not, I'm not a master at watercolor. Maybe if you've been doing it a while, you'll know exactly, you know, how much to mix, but that's a, that's a lot of ground to cover. It is. I wonder if they, if, if he mixed his own, if he made his own, you know, like you can mix your own oil paints when you're mixed his own watercolor. I'm sure he did considering how old the painting yeah, and I'm, I'm exactly. also sure he had apprentices oh I'm sure yeah everybody mix this right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it wasn't like I'll go to the art store and give me a tube of Prussian blue or something. right here's a patch <laughs> yeah. of Holbein paint yeah exactly right. exactly yeah it wasn't like that no no yeah that's fascinating though yeah it yeah. is it is so that concludes our episode so where can we find you online Catherine uh, you can find me at tncanvas.com that's my website and you can find me on social media at tncanvas great and you can find me at skiesart.com or on Instagram I am at skiesartshop as well as Facebook so thank you for listening as Edward Byrne Jones once said Only this is true, that beauty is very beautiful and softens and inspires and rouses and lifts up and never fails. Well, thank you for listening and happy happy creating. creating!